Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. Welcome back, everybody. We are here. Um, sorry. Are you already with... crying? No, I just said, um. Oh, I thought you were already crying. No, we're going to try to make this an uncut version because I don't have the mental bandwidth or capacity to actually edit. So you'll probably hear a lot of ums because we really aren't good public speakers. No. Um. Although somebody (laughs) did say to one of my girlfriends, just tell them they have really good podcasting voices. I've heard that a lot, actually. Like you can, but everybody complains that we (laughs) sound way too much alike. Yes. My godmothers who are probably listening were like, yeah, sometimes I don't know it's you. And then I hear you're like, chuckle. I know it's, I know it's <laughs> Susan. Chuckle. My, my awkward okay. chuckle. Here we go. Ladies and gents, this is a big one. <laughs> this isn't, this is, this is not a normal episode. This is no. an episode to hold you over temporarily. Yes. And some of you may know. Some of you may not, but just shy of eight days ago, Susan's daughter, Lorelai, gained her wings. And, you know, I think that there's a lot to be said. And we started this um, not really knowing. All we wanted to do was reach people out in this world that were on the same journey or a similar journey as we are. And so here we are, like raw and open, and Susan is going to just start talking about the past eight to 12 days. Yeah. Um, And she wanted to share it pre-funeral, just so anybody that has walked, is walking, or maybe walking this path in the future, you know, we're, we're just here to try and connect with all of you, so... Um, Susan, first and foremost, I think I can say on behalf of everybody that listens, um, we've had so much support and, um, we are just so deeply saddened. I know this is an uncut version, but somebody's (laughs) delivering flowers at my door. Can we pause for a second? Hold on one second. I'll be right back. Okay. Sorry. Real yeah. life, uncut. Seriously, un- this is really uncut. 
<laughs> Should I leave that break there and just let people know that flowers yeah, are being totally delivered? Yeah, totally fine. Okay. So. Okay. So where do we begin? I mean. I have no idea. So. So let's, let's back up. You, I, we recorded a while back and you had a cold and you thought it was an ear infection. So mm-hmm. we can make this brief or as in depth as you want. Like this I is think, the beginning. I um, think we're going to have. I know my therapist and I have a lot of digging to do when it comes to the fact that I had a head cold. I went to a doc in the box kind of urgent care and they looked and said, you have an ear infaction. Sorry, did you just say doc in the box? Doc in the box. Yeah. Um, I have never heard that. And B, it reminds me of an SNL skit. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. So, um, the doctor there looked at my ear and said, I have an ear infection and that I just like started crying and wanted to hug her and be like, so I'm not contagious. She's like, no, it looks like you just have a really, really bad ear infection. So she put me on antibiotics. She said, you have a lot of like drainage. So I would still recommend keeping your distance from your children. Cause I explained the situation and wearing a mask when you're around them. And I was like, absolutely. Like that's a given. So I went home and I stayed quarantined from my kids for two ish days. And then, you know, moms don't really get breaks. (laughs) Like we just don't. Um, so I was around the kids occasionally and I wore my mask and I'm sorry, my voice is still Everybody else has gotten it. Well, Laurel, I didn't get over the cold, but everybody else has gotten over the cold. Um, if you don't laugh, you cry. I am I am a bereaved I mother. I am allowed to make dark and twisty jokes. Absolutely. Um, so Benji got the cold first after me. And we realized it wasn't an ear infection, just an ear infection. And then a few days later, Michael was like, hey. I think I have the cold. Well, at this point, I had been sleeping in the guest room. Keep in mind, like, Lorelai slept in our king-size bed. And Mike has been sleeping in the guest room for, like, the last five months. And Lorelai and I slept together every single night. When I got sick, I moved to the guest room. Mike moved in to our bedroom, which, in hindsight, I'm glad he had a few nights to sleep next to her. Um, When he started to feel sick... Which, I mean, for him, like, he literally got over this in, like, 48 hours. Um, I can't help but think that, you know, God has a bigger plan. And him feeling like he had the sniffles, we went back and forth for, like, a 15-minute conversation of, should I sleep with Lorelai tonight or should you sleep with Lorelai tonight? Like, which one of us would have the bigger caseload of, I don't know if caseload's the right word, bigger who's germier germ right now? Yeah. Germ load. Um, so we decided that I had had the cold for a week. So maybe I had a lower germ load and he moved to the guest room and I slept with Lorelai that night. And then, um, the next day she started showing junkiness and, you know, like Benji had managed this like a champ. So we thought, you know, it's just going to be, it's just going to be a a virus. Like he's managing it easy. She'll do the same. Um, 
she was a little congested for a day or so. I mean, so much so that if you're Facebook friends with me, like I posted a video of her laughing at fart jokes on Saturday. Like Mm -hmm. she was good. She was handling it. Um, This is the shittiness of Mito. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, Saturday night I slept with her. Um, Sunday she started vomiting and because she was trying to get the mucus out. Um, so she vomited quite a bit, but she wasn't like vomiting up food and Lorelai vomits often. So it, like in her younger years, she would vomit seven times a day and it wouldn't be a big deal. But as this disease has progressed, the more she would vomit, the quicker she would crash. And so we were kind of watching her a little bit closely and I remember at six o'clock messaging, this is six o'clock on 4th of July, because again, my kid loves holidays. Um, I messaged her two primary doctors and I was like, Hey, I think I can handle this at home, but like she's vomited a lot. So I'm not really sure what's going to happen. And we were doing all the shaker vest treatments and we were doing everything we had to do. And put her to bed. She threw up once or twice again. And then we were like, she just needs to go to sleep and she'll be okay. Like she just needs to rest. Well, at 1145, Michael gave her her midnight meds and she threw them up all over in her sleep, all over my bed, all over my quilt. And I was like, we have to go in. Like you need fluids, you need bicarb, we have to go in. So I got everything ready, figuring that we would be Like, I was hoping they could just check her labs, give her some fluids, and we could go home. Um, She threw up all over my bed, which my mom came up the next day. And, you know, I, of course, I love my white quilt. So I was like, bleach it, (laughs) do what you got to do. And um, sadly, like, everything that smelled like Lorelai was washed out before Lorelai even, I mean, like in hindsight, I would have probably laid in her vomit when I got home had it not been washed, but you know, nobody knew how this was going to play out. We thought it was going to be like her other crashes where we spent five days in the ICU and we went home. I thought Um, about you because Sayla, I mean, just drools all over at night and you smell her like just mm-hmm. rinse breath all over. And I pulled up her pink blanket and I took a whiff and I'm like, oh my gosh, I would miss this smell. Like usually in the morning, I'm like, oh God, yeah. that needs to be That's washed. how but- Lorelai over as this disease has progressed in her sleep, she's just like profusely sweating. Like mm-hmm. I would imagine she sweats as much as like a 500 pound hippopotamus would sweat. And <laughs> if hippopotamus hippopotami if they sweat Lorelai was like on par with them and so like she would soak through her clothes her bedding everything Mm -hmm. and it would smell terrible but now the only thing that didn't get washed was her weighted blanket and I have it balled up as tight as I can possibly ball it and like the other day I was like hey Michael you want to take a hit of this (laughs) like like, take a sniff of doodle and I'm like should I be like seal vac sealing this into a bag. And I actually talked to Janice and I was like, do I cuddle the shit out of it right now? Or do I seal it up so that I can just like hang on to it? And she's like, 
I tried to seal things up and it, do, it just doesn't last. So just cuddle it, it now. Fit. Oh, I was just going to say, go get those massive Ziploc bags. That's that kind of what suck the stuff out of, yeah. the air out of. That's what I wanted to do, but, um, (laughs) so we get to the ED at that point, it's like one 30 Monday morning. Um, we spend, I'm not going to get into details right now, but I can tell you Monday and Tuesday were the most, two most traumatic days of my life. Um, I watched my daughter get bagged at least five times. She stopped breathing in my hands multiple times. I learned about things like vent settings and oscillators and how she wasn't responding to any of them. And we just felt like something was different this time. Um, I feel like I'm super cried out right now. So I don't know if I'm going to cry throughout the rest of this conversation, but I would be lying if I said my heart will probably forever struggle with the fact that I gave her this head cold. Um, metabolically, her numbers were great. She wasn't struggling the way she normally struggled when we were admitted. I, I mean, I don't know how we got from fart jokes on Saturday to my child was gone on Wednesday. And I just, I don't know. Um, I will tell you this disease is extremely fickle though. And her body was tired. And I keep telling myself the only thing that keeps me going right now, as far as that I could have been, the one that killed my daughter with a head cold. The only thing that's keeping me going is that I personally feel like God knows the day on the day we're born. He knows the day he's going to call us home. And, you know, I picked up this head cold on Benji's birthday at a lavender farm, and it was the most beautiful, magical day we had had in a long time. I didn't take my kids anywhere. We didn't go anywhere. We never did anything. And we went to a farm and I got a head cold at an outdoor farm. And I have theories about how I got it. Actually, I know how I got it because my friend got it too. And she met us there and we know it came from scissors, which is a long story in itself. And people (laughs) think I'm nuts when I tell them, but I just have to tell myself that God needed her home on seven, seven and her her time here was done and it's bigger it's bigger than me and maybe he needed i mean she had Diane she had the best june she had the best few weeks she has had in like a year she only had one storm in june and she tolerated it like a champ and the week before she passed we started we color coded our calendar every day was green Like every day was great. And so I just have to tell myself that it was time for her to go. And God needed me to give her effing rhinovirus to get her there. And the commonest of common head colds. Like, I mean, here we are like terrified of COVID 
and a freaking common head cold that literally gave Michael sniffles for 48 hours killed my daughter with mitochondrial disease. You know what I think is so crazy, not crazy, beautiful. And please excuse like anything that is said that may sound or feel insensitive right now, but like, should we be wearing masks to our funeral? (laughs) People are asking. Yes. Yes. The answer is the more the merrier. If you want to wear three, that would be outstanding. (laughs) Um, I, I feel like as you're saying this, my thought is like, God has never stopped challenging you to let go and, um, trust through this whole process without seeing anything like what the big picture holds. Right. So you're never going to understand why didn't she get COVID and pass? Why didn't she live longer? Why did I, why did she go this way? But at the same time, watching you talk about how beautiful her life was like the last month, you know, it was, she had great days. You were able to do these things. Michael got to, you know, snuggle with her the last couple nights. It just is like this whole life is like Tetris together so perfectly. And yet we still question, is this, why did it happen this way? Why, why did she go into the hospital? And her numbers were not like they normally are for her to be that ill, but here we are. And it is hard. It, I mean, listening to this story, it's beautiful and hard, but then listening to the questions too of like, why? And it's like, God, just give us an, like, why? Why do we always have to ask the question why without being revealed? And yet the whole process seems so beautiful, um, despite the immense pain, I'm sure. But it is also, I mean, I remember you saying like this, it was the most beautiful thing. So, and that stopped me in my tracks. We, um, anybody who knows me knows that I have been pretty damn adamant that my kid wasn't going to die in the ICU. We had plans. <laughs> God like patted me on the head and said, your plans are cute. That's real <laughs> cute. I... I had plans that if we were in the ICU, I talked to certain doctors and we could get her home, even if that meant she was going to be intubated. Um, We had plans. I did not want my daughter to die in the ICU. On Monday, the 5th, again, Laurel, I liked her holidays and technically that was the federal holiday of the 4th of July. So... You know, we were admitted she in was ICU. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I looked back at like all of her admissions and ED stays, literally 75% of them were on holidays or vacations. Like, come on, child. I'm not surprised. I know. So long story short, and again, I'm not going to get into details right now. Maybe I will one day because they're magical, but she was crashing and I looked at the intensivist and I said, you need to intubate my daughter right now. And he looked at me like I had four heads. Like (laughs) he just stared at me. I was like, she needs to be intubated right now. And in my mind, she was going to be intubated to either bounce back or go home. And 
I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew she needed to be intubated. That night, the respiratory therapist was so sweet. She was like, honey, I've been doing this for 18 years, and I have never seen a mom request to have her daughter intubated. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, it's not a common thing for a mom to tell the attending that he needs to intubate her child. Like He just kind of looked at me and then he tried to like explain things. And Michael's like, Susan, let him talk. And I'm like, no, like she needs to be intubated right now um, because I know my kid. And the nurse we had that day, really, really nice guy. He had a British accent and he sounded like Peppa Pig's dad. So um, <laughs> I kept telling Lorelai that Peppa, Peppa Pig's papa was here taking care of her. Um, but the next day he was like, you called it. I don't know if she would have, I don't know what would have happened. Um, but when you see your kid get bagged for, I mean, like watching a team of people try to rescue your child. Yeah. Can Um, I ask you a question? Yeah. What did it feel like as you were watching that? Were you like white knuckling her or were you like, I think it's time. Or both? Um, the first time she was bagged on this, this admission, um, she had had multiple, we had been trying for seven hours to get an IV in. And Lorelai's a hard stick. And when you go to the ED in the middle of the night and then the ICU in the middle of the night, um, the vascular access team isn't there at our hospital at four o'clock in the morning. They call in all the people who are really good, but no one could get a line. I was there as they tried to put in two central lines into her thighs and there was blood everywhere. Both failed and they couldn't figure out why. And then they're like, we're going to try for her neck. And in order to get it in her neck, they had her tipped backwards on pillows. So her head was kind of upside down. And I was holding her head in my hands. And they got a line. And she was very, her breathing was off. She needed her bicarb. I had been saying for hours she needed her bicarb. Get the child some bicarb. So they got a line. The only way they can get that in was through the line, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, They could get it through the G tube, but it wouldn't be nearly as effective. Um, They got the line in her neck and another attending came and pushed 150 cc's of bicarb within 10 seconds because she needed it that badly. And like, they didn't even secure the line in her neck. They just held it while he pushed the bicarb and I'm holding her head, talking to her. And I said to them, you know, when I give her meds too quickly, sometimes like she freaks out. Is it the same because it's in an IV and they're like, no, no, this is different. I know my kid within 15 seconds, she stopped breathing. Um, in my hands. I literally had her head in my hands and I'm like, she's not breathing. She's not breathing. Something's not right. My child is not breathing. Keep in mind, Michael wasn't there yet. He was at home with Benji. And I'm literally like, she had a chest rattle before because she had this cold and like the rattle stopped. And the doctor's like, no, no. Like you can see her stomach is still moved. Like she's just taking shallower breaths. She's calling. And I was like, no, she is not 
she's not okay right now. And all of a sudden, like everybody comes in and I'm standing there holding her head and I'm like, keep breathing, keep breathing, Susan, like keep breathing, keep focused. And I knew I didn't want to leave her side, but I also knew I needed to get out of the way. And so I walked away and I went out and stood in the hallway, which was really hard, but I needed to get out of the way and I couldn't breathe. Like, I just felt like I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. Um, at that point they bagged her for 30 minutes and got her stable. Um, she wasn't intubated then she crashed a couple more times before she was intubated. But I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking to see this happen and it's scary, but like Lorelai always bounced back. Like she always bounced back. Um, and I had told you that we, we were sent to the quiet room, which we had been in many times, but I'd never looked at the artwork on the, on the walls. And it was just this artwork of like the Milky Way and the stars and the sky. And I just kept telling Michael, like, I feel like it's time. I feel like we are going to have to set her free now. Like, I feel like this is the time we set her free. And you still don't want to, I mean, like she bounces back every time. And you know, like I questioned that in Florida when she almost died at almost two years old. And he said, no, we let her try. And so I thought I was wrong then. Like I will be wrong again this time. Like we will let her try. And on Tuesday, she was more stable. And I like, she was intubated on Tuesday. She was intubated on Wednesday. So she was on the vent on Tuesday all day. And I said to her, I said, Lorelai, if you're ready to, if you want to keep fighting, I need you to tell me, I need you to tell mama, you are still here. And she squeezed my hand. And, um, and at another point I said, Oh, doodle, these hospital socks, they are so ugly. I'm going to go and get you when I go home today. Like I, she was so stable on Tuesday. I went home and showered, which y'all know I don't leave the ICU. But I went home and showered because I was like, she's going to be intubated. She's resting and sedated. She will get through this and then we will figure it out. Um, I went home. I told her, Laura, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get you some fun socks because these socks are ugly. And she'd kick her feet. And then my mom FaceTimed and sang some of the La La songs that Lorelai loves. And even though she was sedated on meds and stuff, she opened her eyes and looked around So on Tuesday, I was like, oh, no, Monday was just a bad day. We're going to beat this. Like Tuesday, she's still there. Oh, and I left out the fact that on Monday she had two seizures, which she had never had seizures before. So, like, I didn't know what her brain status was, you know? Like, I didn't know if things were shutting down. I didn't know what was going on. But, like, she squeezed my hand. She opened her eyes. She kicked her feet. I was like, no, we've got this. The ICU attending that day was like, tomorrow we'll extubate. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about this. Like, (laughs) um, and I said to Lorelai Tuesday night, I said, honey, I don't think you're ready for extubation. I need you to show us that you are not ready for extubation if you are not ready for extubation. And that night, at like 11.30 or midnight, she started crashing. And everything just kind of stopped. 
Um, she all of a sudden had very sticky lungs. They got her lungs under control after maximized vent. I mean, she was on the max vent settings and her lungs were still not like everything was stopping. They got her lungs stable on the max settings and her heart rate was dropping to like nothing. They got her heart rate going with meds and then her heart rate was too high and she wasn't, she wasn't putting out fluids and she hadn't pooped in four days and like everything was just stopping. And, um, Michael came up at one thirty in the morning because I mean, at that point it was another solid night of trauma. I was reaching out to doctors that all of them have been on this show, so I don't need to say names, but at two o'clock in the morning, all of them were texting me. Some of them were offering to come to the hospital and, and I was like, no, it won't change anything. Like, don't come. Um, and we just didn't know. Um, and I know I keep saying, um, and we're not editing this out. Sorry. Don't just don't. <laughs> <laughs> but Tuesday morning, uh, Wednesday morning, the attending came in and I was like, so I'm guessing we're not X debating today. <laughs> He was like, I don't, he's like, everybody, everybody was like, we don't know what happened. We just don't know. And then they started thinking maybe she got an infection. Maybe they're like, they took cultures of everything they could possibly culture thinking best case scenario, my kid would be septic and that they could treat it with antibiotics. Worst case scenario. I mean, Honestly, I don't think she could get over sepsis. Like, I don't think my kid could. Um, So that, the fact that that was the best case scenario was terrifying. Mm -hmm. But if, if that was the best case scenario, that meant the worst case scenario was that her body was just done. Um, After two days of trauma, I said, look, if we can have our family come up and say goodbye, just in case, like we're not giving up on her. We will never give up on her. Um, if we could do that and we'll tell them it could just be just in case, like knowing Lorelai, she's just screwing with us. Uh, Mm -hmm. so we were able to have my parents and my sister and her husband come up and say goodbye, even though like COVID precautions don't allow, you know, at end of life, they allow this. And still like after they left, Michael was like, so if she, if she bounces back from this, asking the doctors questions and my heart breaks because I'm like, honey, she's, she's not bouncing back from this. And I knew, and you know, like she was so She was so uh, fragile those last few days that I couldn't even get in bed with her. And normally in our ICU stays, I don't leave her bed. I sleep in her bed the entire time. I cuddle with her the entire time. The week before this happened, I was sick and in another room. While we were in the hospital, she was so fragile that they said if I got in bed with her, I could I could harm her if she was going to pull through. So I couldn't get in bed with her. 
um, at some point that day, we, I mean, I knew and we knew the next thing to do. I mean, I have to tell you, CHKD showed up. People love, 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 love Lorelai. And they had the chaplains like ushering people to and from. And like, I mean, the entire vascular access team came and said goodbye. We had doctors and nurses who loved my kid just coming by and loving on her. Like, I did not want my child to die in the ICU. And at one point they said, you know, she might be stable enough to get her home. And at that point I realized I've said from the beginning, I will never do to her. I will only do for her. And getting her home was for me. It wasn't for her. And it would be to her. So we had a room with windows. And, you know, um, Anne, who was on this show, and Dr. Meta, who was on this show, and Dr. Vergana, who was on this show, Um, We're all there. Lorelai's favorite ICU nurse who had just dyed her hair pink by chance. Um, She wasn't even our nurse that day and she came and was with us. And first they unplugged all the meds that she didn't need anymore. And once those were unplugged, I was allowed. Oh, and I left out. Sorry, I'm jumping around. I left out. Benji was able to come up too. Um, we laid him with her and it was awkward. It was really awkward for me. She looked beautiful. Like I, I'm going to make a dark joke here, but when I'm on my deathbed, I sure (laughs) as hell hope I look as pretty as Lorelai. Her hair was perfect. She looked like a little, little princess sleeping. And we laid Benji next to her and he kind of cuddled with her. And if you want to see a bunch of nurses move real fast, have a two-year-old try to extubate his sister. <laughs> he, he leaned over and grabbed a hold of that vent and we're all like, no. <laughs> um, he's, like, he's like, don't worry, guys. I got this. I will extubate her to heaven for you. Um, I mean, these are the kids. Oh these are the siblings that pulled their G-tubes out all the time. You know, like he's like, I got this. I got this, sissy. Um, so he was up there, too. Um, but (laughs) they, they, you know, stopped the meds that she didn't need. And at that point we knew this was the end and I was able to get in bed with her. Um, so I laid in bed with her for 30 minutes or so and Mike next to her. And, um, they asked me when I was ready, uh, to ex to have her extubated, um, And Anne prayed over Lorelai. And I I forgot to mention that she, on Tuesday night, um, when they were trying desperately to fix her, they had to paralyze her. And so she couldn't squeeze my hand. She couldn't even open her eyes. Her whole body was paralyzed. And I had asked, like, will she be able to squeeze my hand? And they said, more than likely, no. Um, but they did turn the paralytic off about 30 minutes before we extubated. And Anne, who had been praying over Lorelai since she was two pounds, 14 ounces in the NICU, was praying with us 
um, I was in bed with Lorelai and they extubated and we were praying and Lorelai squeezed my hand. Um, the squeeze of the hand was a gift from God. And I mean, it was something that shouldn't have been possible. She was paralyzed, but she squeezed my hand. Um, I have been present when grandparents have passed and I know of other Mito families who have lost their children and I know it can be hard. It can last a while. There can be chest rattling and gagging and gurgling and gasping. And I had asked like, how long will this take? And they said, we don't know. It could take hours. It could be quick. We don't know. It was, um, it was less than eight minutes and she literally forehead to forehead with me fell asleep in my arms. There was no gasping. There was no gagging. I could feel her body against me just breathing slowly, just like we would be cuddling at home in bed. And then there were four little Lorelei hiccups and she was in heaven. And it was, you know, it wasn't how I wanted it at all. I did not want my daughter to die in that ICU because my son has the same disease. And in a few years, I'm going to be walking into that ICU with him and we're going to be doing this all over again. And I did not want her to die in that ICU, but it was absolutely beautiful. Um, I have asked God for a lot during this journey. I've asked for her to be comfortable. I've asked to be present when she passed. I asked for her to be in my arms when she passed. I asked for her to be at home with her dog. But I also asked, you know, like, shout out to the mamas who have done this. And it took months or really, really long time of watching your child pass. I'm thinking specifically of Janice and Juliet. And it took, it was, it was long and I, I give so much credit to the mamas who can do that or who, not who can do that. Any of us can do it. The mamas who have done it. But I am so grateful while it's tragic and hard that she went from fart jokes to heaven in a matter of four days. I feel like that's how I want to go. Fart jokes to heaven. You know, like that doesn't happen in Mito. Like that, Lorelai went from like laughing in our kitchen as Alexa made jokes about the plumber is in the building, like (laughs) to being intubated to being in heaven within like 72 hours. It, it's beautiful. And there is a lot that I would change if I could, but it's her story and that's how it played out. Um, I will say as a NICU mom, I thought walking out of the hospital after having your baby and leaving him or her or him and her 
in the NICU with strangers and going home, I thought that was the hardest walk out of the hospital. But walking out with an empty wheelchair is the hardest walk out of the children's hospital that you can make. Um, that was, that was the hardest part for me. Just walking out of a hospital that we've walked out of so many times. I did have to stay until the funeral home came and took her because I couldn't leave that ICU with her still there. I needed to see her leave that ICU because I know I'm going to be back in that ICU again with Benji. Um, and I think part of why I wanted to share this so soon and so fresh is because I know people listen who are going through shit. And I know there's people who have that anticipatory grief, that grief that, that grief that was drowning me for five and a half years. And once she passed, I'm not saying, I'm not here to argue if anticipatory grief or my kid just died grief is better or worse because it's all sucky. But within 10 minutes of her passing, I felt like I could breathe. For the first time in five and a half years, I wasn't worried about her. I wasn't, I wasn't worried if she was going to stop breathing. I wasn't worried that she was in pain. I wasn't worried that I was sitting upstairs in my office and something terrible was going to happen to her. I knew she was okay. Finally, for the first time, she was okay. Um, And anticipatory grief is hard. It's really, really hard. And I felt like I was treading water for five and a half years and I was so tired. And um, so tired. But I feel like while this sucks and I'm not sleeping because my kid isn't next to me in bed anymore. And that I would cut off my right arm just to be able to have one more doodle snuggle. I feel like I can breathe a little lighter. And I don't feel like this disease won. And I don't feel like this is terrible. I've had people say to me, like, they're angry at God. And they're angry that this happened. No one should be angry right now. This is absolutely beautiful. And she has made such a difference in this world. In five short years. And, um... I just, you know, I, I'm just going to miss her so much. I'm just really going to miss her so much. 
So I'd like to invite everybody who made it this far. Her, um, we're not having a funeral. We are having a party. And it will be online. Um, it will be in person for the people who are local and feel like they need to be there. Um, I'm asking, we've been really open about her story for the last few years. So I am asking where it's open to anybody. However, if you don't know me and you show up, just at least let my family in first. Um, But it will be online. Um, it'll be on her Facebook page. There'll be a link on the Fridays with Lorelai Stars for Benji Facebook page. Or um, we're in the process of making a website for her, www.fridayswithlorelai.com. And we are going to celebrate my kid. Um, I was joking with somebody. I was like, Lorelai, put the fun back in funeral. Um <laughs> We are having, (laughs) hold on, this cold that killed my child, everybody else has gotten over it. And I think my body is just so shot that um, I just can't stop coughing. Um, Also, crying doesn't help. No. (laughs) But we found a venue. I have apologized multiple times to my pastor because I was like, look, it's nothing personal, but I didn't want this in church. I don't want this to feel like a funeral. I want this to feel like a party. I have told everybody you are not to wear black. Even the wait staff has said that they will try to not wear black, even though that is their uniform. The, the, I thought that was the sweetest thing. She was like, what do you want us to wear then? And I was like, I don't care. I mean, your staff can wear black if that's their uniform. But she's like, well, we'll see what we can do. Um, I have asked, I wrote her eulogy and put in there um, bright colors, tie-dye optional, which was a play off of the black tie optional thing. Um <laughs> tie-dye optional and we have um a room with a view of the bay and it is going to be amazing I know it's so weird to say that I am so excited for my kid's funeral party but I am so excited for my kid's funeral party like it is going to be amazing. Um, I wrote the, the plan. I wrote the, what's it called? Program. I wrote the eulogy at 4 a.m. because I do my best writing and thinking apparently at four o'clock. Why wouldn't we? (laughs) Um, but I'm, I'm just, I'm really, I'm just really gonna miss her I know and I have to say watching you go through this and just seeing the grace and the peace that God has bestowed on you I think that you know when you talk about anticipatory grief like so many of us whether we have special needs kids or not we live in this state of fear of the what ifs and how will it look And 
I have to say that a huge part of this podcast for me, so I hope it is for our listeners, is watching other mothers walk before you in the path of, you know, potentially losing your child. And I know that this may not be the time that you're ready to hear that your pain or Lorelai's story is really, you know, for a purpose or doing something. But I will say, you know, so many of our past guests and then watching you just one foot in front of the other um, walk through this. And it could have gone so many different ways on how you handled this grief, whether it was you were mad at God or you just are caught in this misunderstanding of why, why, why. It's just graceful and that you found blessing and beauty through all of this. And you are is just so incredibly um, uplifting and it gives so much hope. And so thank you to Lorelai for continuing to like just shine that layer of hope in ways that we don't see to any, you know, we don't see it all mm -hmm. the end story. And so mm -hmm. I really appreciate you sharing this and I know you're going to miss her, but thank you for being vulnerable and like being open and sharing your child with this world. She is beautiful and you are, and you're strong and there's just so much to honor her for. So, and thank you to God. And I have to say too that, you know, the, the timing of this podcast, everything happens in God's timing. And, you know, when you step back and you go, well, shit, I have a lot of friends who have dead kids. Like, yes. Yes. that's not comforting at all. But no, all of these people, I mean... Mary and Brittany and Janice and, and Elizabeth, like all of them have reached out and, you know, we've always joked here that like, you're now a medical mom. You're now a mom of a disabled child. Welcome to a club you didn't want to be part of. And I just got a new um, club that I, that all of them have welcomed me to. Um, with open arms and, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for a lot of things, including, I feel like this podcast has given you and I so much perspective, not just the listeners, but like, I feel like yeah. I've learned so much from every single interview we've ever had. And Absolutely. I feel like that is part of what has helped me be strong through all of this. Mm -hmm. And I also like prior to this conversation was trying to think of things that I wanted to say and share. And I wanted to say that if you're listening and you're going through this or something like it, however you're handling it is okay. Um, I've had a lot of people say to me, like, I can't believe you're out of bed. I can't believe you're, you're doing, and that's okay. I've had people say, I didn't get out of bed for weeks, and that's okay. Um, I put Christmas lights in my front yard the other day, and that's okay. Um, whatever you have to do to get through this, 
if it's eating Chick-fil-A for lunch, cheesecake, or sorry, Chick-fil-A for breakfast, um, brownies for lunch, and Olive Garden cheesecake for dinner. That's okay because I still haven't gained weight. <laughs> or if you gained okay. 20 pounds, that's okay. Um, but yeah, you know, there's no manual for this. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say that has really struck me over the last week, and then we'll wrap up because we're almost at an hour. Um, you know, there's there's a word for a spouse who loses their partner is a widow. A child or a person who loses their parent is an orphan. But there's no word. There's no word for a mom who loses her daughter. I even reached out to my friend in Norway and I said, in Norway, in Norwegian, is there a word for this? Like, there's no word. Because it's just so painful that there's just not even a, how do we not, I'm a big fan of words. How do we not have a word for this? Like, we have words for everything. How do we not have a word for this? Um, but I think that speaks to just how hard and unfair we're not supposed to lose our children. But I also know that it's bigger than me and that this is how her story went. And I know that she's going to continue continue to make a difference, whether it's through this podcast or, um, also we are having a blood drive on Wednesday. So her, her celebration is on Tuesday, the 20th, and we're having a blood drive on Wednesday in her, in her memory. And, um, they, when we called, they said, well, we have availability for a blood drive in October for her. (laughs) I was like, that's not going to (laughs) work. And they were able to find enough volunteers that we could have a blood drive the day after her, her celebration. And, um, we had to get a minimum of like 30 people, a maximum of 50 to come locally. And right now, before we did this, we were at 41, I think. Um, incredible. They called and asked if we wanted to bump it to 75. And I was like, oh no, I can't handle that pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Um, but if, if you are not local or if you are local and you can't make it, um, there is a way that the Red Cross is allowing people to donate blood in Lorelai's memory. Um, and I can include the link on our Facebook page for when autumn comes, um, because there's a massive shortage of blood right now. And, And if you do it before, I think, um, the end of July, I have to look. They're giving $10 Amazon gift cards. So not only yeah, not only can you save a life, but you could like buy something. Um, yeah. So Prime it. Um, thank you guys for for being here and for supporting me through this. And we're gonna still take a little bit of a break. Um I don't know how long. Um, but we we've paused our interviews for a couple months and at some point, probably next month, we'll put the new episodes out again. Um, and we may do another one of these after the funeral. 
um, if Diana's up for listening to me ramble again. Um, no, you're not. No, <laughs> I was trying so hard. I know. No, I, I, I felt like I left you hanging some of the time, but at the same time, it is your story to tell. I did not feel it necessary to add anything. I wanted yeah. it to be just you, you know? Um, and we want to hear well, more. Well, this is Susan. And um, actually, I can say this honestly. This is Susan, and my friend Lacey just dropped sushi off for me. So I am going to go downstairs and eat some sushi. Girl, you eat it. This is Diane. I got to go blow my nose so I don't get a sinus infection <laughs> from crying. <laughs> Thank you, guys. We love you, Lorelai. We know you have so many choices on how to spend your time. Thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us. We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mom Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things to get us through. We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan. See you next time.